Oh man, it's good to be here. Some nice faces. Those of you, you know, that doesn't mean everybody's got one, but there are a lot of nice ones out there. It's really good to be here. Really grateful. Um, I was reminded that uh, we're together. It's a good time. Scripture says that when we are gathered together in his name, then uh, he is with us. And uh, this one seems like a good time to ask God for rain. So let's do that. Would you stand with me just briefly? Let's humble ourselves and come before God and let's ask for rain throughout the West. Um, we're burning, aren't we? Father, we, uh, we love you so much. And we, we know no matter how hard we try or hope or wish, uh, we cannot control the elements. We don't get to control the climate. Um, but we serve a God who does. And we just come before you humbly today, Father, and ask you for rain. We ask you to just cover the entire western United States with rain. Lord, bring it, we ask. Give us relief, Lord. Relieve us from the danger that comes with the heat and the fires and all that comes with it. And we, we ask you, bring the rain, Lord. Bring the rain. We just continue to ask you, bring the rain, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you. Um, I just returned from, uh, actually, almost three weeks long. I always kind of like tend to go with the easy side. I'll say I was gone two weeks because it makes it sound better. My wife said, no, you were gone three weeks, Brian. That's how long you were gone. But I met Clem Ferris in um, uh, Amsterdam, and then we got together and went to South Africa, and we were there for almost three weeks. We celebrated our birthdays. He's a lot older than I am. And uh, we celebrated Father's Day there. It had been almost two years, it, it occurred to me. It had been, actually, it had been exactly two years since uh, Margaret and I had been there uh, with the church there in uh, Peter Meritzburg, or Hilton is actually technically where it is, in the eastern part of the country, which is KwaZulu-Natal, and most of you have probably heard, if you listen to any other news besides American news, um, that South Africa has just exploded in riots and difficulty and looting and tremendous amount of unhappiness. And um, Clem and I were there, just, we, we came home just the day after the president um, announced a new shutdown of the, really, the economy and everything else. Uh, churches, businesses, everything because of COVID. And the people there are under so much stress already and have been for an awfully long time. They, they just experience the whole COVID thing so much differently than we do because they, they live at a survival level already. And, um, and, it, and, and as we know, COVID can be a lot harder on people that are in poverty. And uh, most of Africa is that. And so... Um, when the president announced that um, there was going to be new COVID restrictions, it was a massive restriction. Um, it basically meant no movement, no business. Um, they're just shutting everything down. And the people are already worn out. They, some of them had just gotten back to work, finally. Um, and then they were being told basically they wouldn't work and they wouldn't have income, which means they don't have food. And then... Um, they arrested the former president, Zuma, who deserved to be arrested, no doubt about it. But the, the, his people in KwaZulu-Natal, which is where we were, 
Um, they didn't like the fact that their, their president, their ex-president had been treated with such dishonor. And so they erupted. And they started with protests and it and quickly escalated into anarchy and stupidity and ignorance. But truly just bred out of decades, really generations of, of racial tension and difficulty and bad government. And, uh, and then poverty which is, we talk about institutionalized poverty. We talk about institutional racism here in America. But I guarantee you, if you want to see institutionalized poverty, go to Africa. If you want to see institutionalized racism, go to South Africa. Because that is truly what it is. And the people are just so worn out. They're so tired. They're so frustrated. They're so angry. They're so hopeless. And they responded... Um, as often hopeless people do. And uh, it has just been horrible. We've been in constant contact, really, with our friends there, just getting regular reports from them, saying, you know, the, the crowds are just across the wall. They're burning the village, or they're billing, burning the field on the other side of our fence. Um, they, they came in and just completely destroyed entire towns, root, looting and burning and tearing things apart. And... It's just horrifying. Uh, it has settled down a bit, at, at least in the area where most of our friends are, not in the rest of the area. There's one area called Harding where Margaret and I have been many times, and, and we just love the church there so much. Um, and the, the crowd came in and just ransacked the entire town. There is not any food left. There is nothing left to drink. The first place they go is the liquor stores. And they liquor up, and then they just destroyed the town. They burned the mall down. They, they just, it's just horrifying what is happening. And, uh, but it has settled down a little bit. And it's been just a terrible time for them. They, they felt so isolated and so alone. That it's been almost two years since anyone has been able to come into Africa, you know, to be with them, to spend time with them. And so, um, Margaret, you know, graciously agreed to let me go for three weeks and Clem came with me. And I just, I'm so glad to tell you that they just received us with such joy. They were so glad to have somebody come in from the outside and Margaret filled an entire suitcase full of gifts for everybody, mostly the children. They got candy, lots and lots and lots and lots of candy. I went into my room one time and one of the boys was was ransacking my suitcase. He had, he had gotten the sniff <laughs> of all the sugar that Margaret had put in there. Um, but amazingly, I filled that suitcase up with gifts from them to bring back home to Margaret. So it was actually amazing. They were so blessed to have... Uh, just to have friendship, to know that you guys here are still thinking about them. You guys have been supporting them regularly and consistently. And, and I assure you, there is not a dollar that goes to waste. Um, there has just been tremendous need. They're trying so hard to feed the people in the townships and in the poorer areas of town. Th these people have completely, really just wiped out all the food supplies in that region particularly, um, and now they have no food and nobody will send food to them because nobody will send trucks because they just burn the trucks. It's, it's just so hard to understand except that we're human and we can never get the idea, you guys, here at home that we are not human, that we're not like that, that we're not capable of that kind of behavior. We are. 
Um, and I think we've even proven that in the last year or so. And it isn't just them. It's us, you guys. It's humans. It's human nature. So we're going to take a look at human nature. Oh, there is one other thing. I forgot to tell the other group because I know so many of you have been praying for Margaret and I, particularly myself for my health. And 2020 was a weird, wonderful year for me. Um, I got some much needed back surgery and then in the process found out that I had cancer and had surgery for that. But um, I had another test. My most recent was a six-month test and uh, I am cancer-free still. So God bless just thank you guys so much for your prayer. I am so glad to be able to tell you that. I hate tests now. I, I spent most of my life not going to the doctor, and now I go to the doctor regularly, and I get tests. And the thing about tests is that you never get the results right away. You have to wait at least one night. And I hate waiting for test results now. It's kind of like the new thing to hate. But I love it when they come back so well. So thank you guys so much for your prayer. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9 today. We're going to take a look at, um, we're just going to take a look at some things that Jesus did and some things that he said, but really what I hope we're going to take a look at today is the heart of Jesus himself. In Matthew 9, starting at verse 35, it says, and Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus had been traveling throughout this region for some time and he was teaching, proclaiming the gospel and the kingdom. And he was healing every disease. Wouldn't you love to see what that looked like? We've got this strange fellow who was really quite young, wandering through the region. And it says he was healing every disease and every affliction. Oh, the crowds must have been crazy. Following him around. We know there's, there's one, one example of a woman who just literally reached out and touched his cloak because she was so desperate to be healed. When he saw the crowds, when he saw these crowds, what did he see? What did he feel? It says that he had compassion. He felt something. When he saw the crowds, when he really saw them, he had compassion. And then that word compassion means literally like something inside of him moved, like inside of his gut. It just moved and he felt it. He felt such compassion for them. When you look upon the crowd, what do you see? The question that I've been asking myself lately is, do I even see the crowd? Do I even see it? Do you see the crowd? Look at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I go to Facebook fairly dutifully at least once a month. That's about all I can take. I, I get lost in it. And, and before long, there's been an hour that's gone by and I'm thinking, this would be hard to explain to my clients why I'm not answering phone calls because I got stuck on the web. But that's where the crowd is. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, websites, 
feeds political pundits on the news. Go visit the city county building or, or the government, state government complex up there. You go to the grocery store, there's the crowds, you guys. You go to Panda Express, there's the crowds. You go to Winco, there's the crowds. Are you seeing them? That's the question I've been asking myself lately. And, and I've been starting every day saying, Lord, I just want to see. I want to see. I want to be sensitive. And then I end the day thinking, man, I was about as sensitive as a brick wall today. But then I just start the next day and say, Lord, help me. Because I don't think I'm seeing the crowds. Not the way Jesus did. Do you see the crowds? He looked at them and he said, they were like sheep without a shepherd. As a young man, not a young man, as a boy, um, my dad had a lot of sheep. Um, at one point, he had 10,000 head of them, which is far too many sheep. And, and so I did my stint as a boy, to, as a shepherd, watching after sheep and working sheep and trying to move them from here to there. But the thing about sheep is that they just simply go wherever their mouth takes them. They, they stick their head down and they're just looking for blades of grass and they'll see one and they'll go to one and they'll eat it and then they just follow their eyes and their mouth to the next bit of grass. And, and before long, they can end up completely isolated, isolated and alone and away from the rest of the, rest of the crowd. They eat and they walk and then they eat and they walk and they probably poop. And they keep their heads down, and before long, they're alone. They're easy prey at that point, easily harassed by the elements and by predators. You see, because sheep have absolutely no defense unless they're with other sheep. That is their only defense. They don't have another one. That's it. When they're in the herd, they're safe. When they're not in the herd, they're not. And this is the very disturbing part about the Gospels is that God makes it very clear, not just in the Gospels, but in the whole Bible, he refers to us as sheep all the time. And if that hasn't occurred to you before, that's not complimentary, evidently. (laughs) If they're in the herd, they're safe. If they're outside of it, they're harassed and they're helpless. What did Jesus see? when he looked at the crowd, what did, what did he see? He saw people. He saw people that, that were like sheep that had no shepherd. They were alone. They were helpless. They were hopeless. Do you guys, it, what do you see when you look at the crowds? Or do you even see? That's the question, really. When Jesus looked at them, it says he felt Compassion. Deep inside, he felt compassion. You guys, I, I do believe we've become insensitive. In other words, we've become sensitized, really, desensitized to violence and difficulty and the struggle of poverty. Do you look at them and see harassed and helpless people? Or do you see dumb, stinky, stupid, lazy, lackluster, misinformed, uneducated, dirty, dumb, 
wrong political persuasion, left, right, centrist, that's even worse. Do you think of the problem or the solution in terms of political or economic response rather than compassion? When you see the crowds today, if you see them, what do you see? And what do you feel? You see, Jesus was moved, it says. He was moved with compassion. So moved that ultimately he laid his life down for them. We're talking about God's heart here, aren't we? For people. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 34. If you'll forgive me, we're going to read a good amount because it gives us God's heart. The word of the Lord came to me. I always, whenever I'm reading things like this from prophets, I kind of want to do a new voice, kind of a prophet voice. Son of man. (laughs) Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord. Oh, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Oh, what an indictment. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And we could just so, we could have such disdain for those shepherds. The problem being, you are a shepherd. We're told in the scripture that we are co-laborers with Christ, you and I. Jason is a shepherd. Tyler is a shepherd. Jeff is a shepherd. Corey is a shepherd. They're elders in the house, right? They're the ones who are supposed to be doing the shepherding. They're the ones that the indictment, if there is one to come, would come against. And I'm here to tell you that's just not the case. I'm here to tell you that you are a co-laborer with Christ. And Christ said, I am the great shepherd. And we oftentimes, we'll we'll say Jason is the under shepherd. But I just don't believe that's true. I believe you are. I believe that you and I are called to have a shepherd's heart and a shepherd's mind for those that are lost and helpless and hopeless and weak and outnumbered and isolated. I believe that we need to be people who have the heart of God for the crowd. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse three. We've got another explanation or, or I should say reflection of God's heart. It says, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them 
who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Say, shepherd. Come on, give it to me, people. Shepherd. He says, I will set shepherds over them. That's you. He he wants us to have the heart of a shepherd, of one who loves the crowd, doesn't disdain the crowd, doesn't think terrible things about the sheep and lists all of the reasons why the sheep are in the spot they're in. We don't see any of that from Jesus. He didn't point out why they were in the spot they were in, did he? Other than to say they're without a shepherd. You guys, when we step out and we look at the crowd and and we allow that compassion of Christ to come over us, there needs to be an understanding that, that this is our deal. It's not somebody else's. So what was Jesus's response? Well, let's look a little further. John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the great shepherd and I laid down my life for the sheep. That's what he did. In John 17, verse 20, he says, my prayer, this is one of his final prayers. He says, my prayer is not for my disciples that you entrusted to me, Lord, alone, but for those who believe in the message through their, they believe the gospel through their message. He says, I'm praying for those that are coming the ones who believe. His heart is for people. It's always been for people. But where's our heart? What are we? How have we been looking at people? How are we look at the crowds? When you come in this room, how do you look at this? Do you come in with the eye to see the crowd? To really see the crowd? Jesus' response was to have compassion. And then he said this. I mean, he could have done anything. Instead, he instructs his disciples to pray. He says, pray to the Father that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Pray. Invite God into these people's story. Invite God into the crowd. Invite God to come and answer their cries means literally that word that's used there and pray. Clem Paris could do this much better. But really, it, it, it almost could mean like begging. Like you, your, your child is sick and, and your child is laying on the bed and is dying. How do you as a mother or a father or a brother or sister respond? You respond almost to that point of just saying, Lord, please, I, I beg you. I remember Margaret's dad when he was in a foxhole he, he did the classic foxhole prayer and he said, Lord, please get me out of this. He was the only one left in his platoon, the only one left. And he's in this foxhole and he's crying out to God and here's what is his deal. If you get me out of this, I will have as many children as you want. If his wife had only known what he was praying back at the foxhole, right? But he, he was like, he was saying, Lord, I, I beseech you, I, I plead with you. And that's what Jesus is saying. We need to be pleading with the Father. Send laborers, Lord. Really? We have to invite God into this? That's what Jesus said. Pray. 
My friend Leon, he's, he was, he's a pastor of a church in the town of Harding I just described that has basically been reduced to nothing. He and his buddy Sayanda, they, uh, they just are returning, I think, from Zanzibar. Leon is an, an amazing person. He's, he's, if you're with Leon for 10 seconds, you've already laughed eight times. He's just that kind of guy. He, he, he's just fun. You just sit with him and you laugh and you giggle because he's just this guy. He, he, was, he was raised in a very difficult situation, extreme poverty, had no father. He was raised by his grandmother. And uh, he ultimately turned to gangs and to violence and became the gang leader. And he was a really good one. I mean, if you're going to do something, do it well. And Leon was really good at it. And, and now when he tells this story and he smiles, he's got this beautiful gold tooth just right there in the front. Every time he smiles, it just glitters at you. But that's, that almost reflects the guy's heart and his soul. He's just one of the most fantastic people. And he loves Jesus. And he loves to tell people about Jesus. He's probably the only equipping evangelist I have ever known. And he just believes that if you pray for someone that they be healed, they should be healed. And, and that's how his life is. So Leon and his friend Sianda, they are going off for a very long and arduous trip into Zanzibar and Dar es Salaam, which are 99% Muslim. They're very, very difficult places in the eastern coast of Africa. And he and his buddy, they're headed up there. So they, they get their first flight. They fly into Johannesburg. And then they find out that their flight is canceled. And trust me, Johannesburg is not where you want to get stuck. It just is not that great of a place. And so he's stuck in the airport there. And, and I don't know about you, but if... When I get stuck in the airport, I whine and moan and complain, and I, I just make it very clear that I'm not happy. And, and eventually, they will kick you. If, you. if you pay to get into a club to relax, they still will kick you out at 7 or 8 at night, and you're just among all the other people trying to find a comfortable place to spend the night. And, and so this is where they are, and, and I'm so feeling for them. I, I just think, oh, man, that's so uncomfortable. I just, I just wish I could go and rescue him. But that isn't Leon. His flight is canceled. He's stuck in the airport. He's got nowhere else to go. And he's honestly, he doesn't have any money, even if he could get into a club. But I got this report from him. I mean, he's not even in Zanzibar yet. He's not even in Dar es Salaam yet. He's not even like started the mission trip. And he's already sending reports back of the things that God is doing. He meets this lady from Canada. No, he, he meets a guy from Canada. And he's, this man has been, experienced, been suffering from, from back problems for years and years and years. This is like long-term stuff. And the guy is so uncomfortable. And he must have been, he must have been pretty uncomfortable because Leon noticed him. And so what does Leon do? He goes up to the guy and talks with him and says, can we pray for you? They prayed for the guy. He was instantly healed of years of back trouble. He says, and we just encouraged him in the Lord. I would be sending a report back home and, and you guys would be thinking I was a mighty missionary. He said, he said, the guy they prayed for when he was healed instantly, he said, literally, he just sat there in shock. 
and we just pointed him to Jesus. Don't you love that? But Leon didn't settle for that. Eventually, he found a lady from the United States who was stranded in Johannesburg because they, they shut down everything and, and she no longer could get a flight into the United States. She was stuck. And you can imagine how upset she was and how distressed. And he says, we prayed the goodness of God over her. Then he asked for prayer. He asked for prayer from us. He said, just pray that we would have one, no more complications. I'm thinking that's a prayer God wouldn't answer because why would he take Leon out of the airport in Johannesburg? He saw the crowds and he was, he was setting people free. He was doing stuff. He says, and then give us discernment to see what God is doing during our flights so that we can partner with, with him. See, when I get on an airplane, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to anyone. I want someone to feed me, and I want to go to sleep. Or I want to read my book. I do not want to talk to you. You are not important to me. I want to just get where I'm going. But Leon is always on mission because he always sees the crowd. I'm thinking... This guy has already like written a story and he hasn't even gotten out of the country yet. Jesus said, pray, ask God to send the workers. So we want Leon to go, right? Then what does Jesus do? If we go to Matthew 10, which is right at the, right after nine, because Jesus didn't actually talk in chapters. It says, And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And these 12 Jesus sent out. So first of all, he's telling them, I just see these people and and I'm moved deep inside of me. I, I have compassion for them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're hopeless and helpless. So let's pray that my father would send laborers. So they did. And then Jesus sent them. They became the answer to the prayer. Do you suppose that that should be the norm instead of the exception? Do you suppose that you are the answer to the prayer? For some reason, we're still supposed to pray. I mean, this is the thing about God. We, we don't really get to argue. Um, he says, this is the way I do stuff. Give and it shall be given unto you. Well, why do we have to give? Well, because if you do, it'll be given unto you. I loved you first, so now you have to love everyone else. And, and here he's, he's saying, I want you to pray that God would send forth laborers. But then in the end, these 12 become the answer. At least one answer to that prayer. Do you think of yourself that way? In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they're talking about Peter and John, who are the great apostles, the mighty apostles. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, it says, the crowd, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized 
that they had been with Jesus. So, when we talk about the going part, do you think of that as somebody else's thing? And when we're talking about going, we're not talking about going to Dar es Salaam. Although some of you do have to look it up and find out where it is, because I did. I had to do that a couple weeks ago. I thought, Dar es Salaam doesn't even like, sounds like a sandwich. Kind of. Do you, do you think of that, that the goal part is that's somebody else's deal? But see, you don't have to go anywhere except to the grocery store. Get on Facebook. Just see if, if God would maybe adjust your response to what it is that you see. To be honest, I, I sometimes will get on social media or, or I'll, I'll watch the evening news and I'll just sit there stunned. I, I don't even know how to respond to it because everybody is an idiot. You guys, I think we've been kind of trained to think like that. There is, I, don't, I can't think of a single pundit on the news who says anything other than the other people are all idiots. There is nobody saying, but look at them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. We're just so amazed at some of the things that we would say are so stupid that are happening in our culture today. But you guys, it isn't looking at them like they're stupid, like they're sheep who stink and are ignorant we need to have the heart of Christ for these people. We need to be moved for them. We need to quit trying to think of what the political response is or the political position or the economic one or even the education one. I mean, all of a sudden now we're all, as parents, we're all interested in the education system and what they're teaching our kids. But you guys... What about the people in the system? Are they really ignorant and stupid and, and, and serving the devil? Or are they sheep without a shepherd? And, and if they are that, then is your response the same as Christ's response? That's the question I've been asking myself. Are you the answer to the prayer? There was a couple in Bozeman from the church that we go to and uh, they were at a tire store. They were waiting for something. I don't know if tires or brakes or something, but they were waiting for their car to be finished. And a single mom walks in and she's clearly, she's got a couple of kids with her and, and she's clearly upset. And she, she's working things out with the guy at the counter, but obviously something happened with one of her tires, but it turns out as often as the case, all of her tires were shot. And they said, there's nothing we can do for you. You have to have a new set of tires. We can't just put one on with that. It's not safe. And, and she just starts weeping at the counter and the guy's just standing there. Like, what am I supposed to do now? They don't train us for this. But this couple was sitting there and they're watching. And when the the lady goes and sits down. They go up to the counter and said, we'd like to buy this woman new tires for her car. No, Jesus loves you. No, here's a water ball with our church's name on it. No, we're just, we just had compassion with what we saw today. What is this woman going to do? 
Is she a, a stupid woman that just keeps having kids when she can't afford it? Or is she a sheep without a shepherd? Come on. These guys, they go up and they say, we'd like to pay for this. And then they got their car and they took off. Well, about the time they're taking off, the lady gets up to the counter and, and just like, I, I don't know what to do. He said, oh, someone already paid for your tires. They'll be done in a few minutes. She said, somebody paid for my tires. Said, she said, who? Well, there was a couple sitting here. He, said, he pointed, he says, oh, they're just leaving the parking lot right now. And just on the back is a bumper sticker or a window sticker that has the name of the church. And she just caught that. And then they drove away. And, you know, I've never been a proponent of church people putting stickers on their bumpers and on their windows because you guys are, I've seen you drive. (laughs) And, you know, it just, I've just always thought, no, that could actually be a really bad testimony. So this gal, she, she go, looks up the church and then she goes to the church and, and, it's, and it, they have a ministry there that one of the elders is doing that's kind of separate but a partner with the church where they, they specifically help people like this. That's what the entire, it's a bunch of guys that are gearheads and they fix single parents' cars. They actually get them new cars when they have to have them. They, they help with their house. They do fix-up stuff around the house. And it, it's a very significant thing that these people do. She just ended up in the right place. But the reason she ended up in the right place was because somebody saw and responded the way that Jesus would respond. The thing is, I don't think that couple that bought those tires is ever going to need new tires they're always going to have new tires because the scripture says you reap what you sow. The scripture says that if you give, you will receive in an abundance. You see, I think oftentimes we're missing being a part of God's economy because we're missing the crowd. Is that fair? I think so. Don't miss chapter 10, you guys. You're the answer. Clem Ferris was telling me a story a couple of weeks ago when we were in South Africa about this friend of his that was a, uh, he was a pastor in Cambodia. I believe it's Cambodia. I'm probably just making the whole story up. But anyway, he, he, he was in Cambodia and he, he was evidently just a really good teacher and preacher. It was kind of like what he did. It's, it, you know, some people just do that and then everybody else does the other stuff. And he, he just was so good at teaching and preaching and, and he loved doing what he did. But there was a, a condition that developed in his throat and, and he just started getting quieter and quieter and quieter. Got to the point where even with a microphone, he couldn't communicate anymore uh, to, to groups of people, even barely in his own home. And he was, you can imagine, so frustrated. But there was a woman in his church who was praying for him. And one day as she was praying for him, she was doing what? She was inviting God into the situation. You mean we have to do that? Isn't God already in the situation? Jesus said, let's invite God into this. Ask him to send laborers. And so she's inviting God into her pastor's situation. And she says, Father, I ask you to heal him. And she said, the Holy Spirit spoke real plainly to her. And and I know you guys have been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. This is really important, you guys. Because if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. 
He's in you. And, and she says, she just felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to go to your pastor and you need to tell him that he needs to laugh. I'm sorry, but I don't think I would do that. <laughs> but she did. She obeyed. She went to her pastor. I have a feeling she prayed a little bit more saying, really? <laughs> That's what it is? That's the answer? But finally she worked up the, the courage and she went and sat down with him and she says, I've been praying for you, Pastor. You know I've been praying for you because that's what I do. And I felt like the Lord gave me a word of wisdom for you. You need to laugh. And he just sits there, evidently, just kind of like, uh-huh. I can barely talk, you know, because he, she probably couldn't even hardly hear him. He says, the Lord told you that I need to laugh. She says, yeah. And so Clem says, well, what did you do? He says, well... I went to my study or wherever he goes and he said, I sat down and, and I just kind of thought like, hmm, what do I do with that? So he says, I just sat there and I go, ho, ho. <laughs> and he, he says, okay. So then he goes, ho, ho. And it's a little bit louder. And he says, ho, ho, ho. He said, before long, he was just laughing and his voice was healed instantly. But you, you see, she prayed. She, she, had, she saw him. She had compassion. She prayed and asked God to come into the situation and she became part of the answer. You guys, this is our stuff. This isn't a story about somebody else's life. This is your story. This is my story. This is how we can live. This is, this is open and available to us. First, we have to see the crowd, don't we? And then we need to have the heart of Christ for us. Not, not what so, you guys, we've been hardened in our culture. We have been hardened. We spend way too much time hearing what other people have to say about our culture just beg you find a different voice to listen to when you go to the grocery store or you go to the tire store or you I mean they don't even have to have a need for you to bless them do you I mean you could just pick out a couple and random at the at the restaurant and just buy them dinner but it's having that the eyes that see and then the heart that responds and then then the prayer, the pleading. It's not just, oh Lord, please bless these nice people. No, it's it's being moved and almost to the point of having to beg like, like it is your own child's life at stake here because that is somebody's child's life at stake here. And then being willing to actually be the answer. The question is, will you see the crowd? Will you? I have a little reminder on my computer every morning to see the crowd. And I tell you guys, more days than I, I end it miserably. And I think back of all the conversations that I had or emails that I wrote that I didn't 
remember because I'm working hard and I think I'm desensitized. But the next morning, the same reminder is still up there. I'm not giving up. I don't want to be hard. I don't want to be hard-hearted. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be condemning. I want to be the love of Christ to a lost and hopeless world. That's what I want. Will you feel the compassion that he feels? And will you pray? And then are you willing to go? That's really what it comes down to. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you, not for you. If nothing else, start tomorrow with a cry to God, Lord, help me to see. I'm confident that most of us, if we saw it, the rest of it's going to fall into place. It's the seeing part I think we need help with. Father, I pray for all of us here today. I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better. Oh, Lord, we, we see scriptures that say you, you saw someone thirsty and you didn't give them water and you saw someone naked and you didn't give them clothes and you saw someone hungry and you didn't give them food. Oh, Lord, we don't want to be those people. Shake us if you have to, Father, but we pray you'd get our attention. Help us to see. Help us to see, Lord. Help us to see the crowd this week. Help us to see. Open our eyes, Lord, that we would see. Lord, one word from you and our eyes are open. We pray you would do that. We pray, Father, that from today forward, there just would be something different in us. And we'd understand that we do have a shepherd and we are so blessed. But the most of the earth has no shepherd and they're helpless and they're hopeless and they're discouraged and they're despairing. Help us to see them, Father, we pray. Amen.